if I get tapped out, like I'm slapping and bumping and going right away. Like it doesn't phase me at all. But that comes from this place of I want to do this sport forever. Like I want to get my black belt. It's going to be 10 years to get my black belt. And I'm just enjoying this is where the you're process. Meant to be. Like I know it. My best self is better than every single person who's going to walk on that platform that night. Gosh, man, that was, was a moment that changed my life, man. Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again. The journey to a better you starts right now. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Kelly. On this week's episode, I am joined by Tyler Held, a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, as well as a sports psychology student wrapping up her doctorate degree. So you guys know, if it's weightlifting, CrossFit, nutrition, anything that I'm currently wrapped up in, I just want to have a conversation and learn more about that subject. Right now, it's jiu-jitsu, and Tyler was a perfect person to bring on because of her sports psychology background. She ties that gap between the general practitioner and the elite athletes, which I think is really cool. And I think you guys will find super interesting. So I hope you enjoy this one. I really did. Let's kick it over there now. How long did it take for you to put BJJ in your Instagram handle? (laughs) that's always like a funny thing for me to look at so i just changed it probably in november um because so my name has always been on the verge uh eventing was before so eventing's the horse sport i've been involved with for the past 10 years and it's not that i'm not a horse person anymore per se because like that's still a huge part of my life but when I transitioned out of full-time work and I was like okay this year is all about competing and jujitsu and doing all of that stuff I was like let me add BJJ because there are opportunities for sponsorships um not necessarily like fantastic ones but people will throw you like free geese or supplements and stuff like that and so I wanted to add BJJ just to like say hey I'm here I'm a competitor and even just getting matches it's been great right so now I'm on super fight cards and I got messages of hey I see that you're competing at this one thing at 170 pounds can you do this fight at 170 so just to fill up the calendar I think Instagram's a good reach for that so I've been I had been a blue belt for six months probably when I changed my okay. Instagram handle. So do people ever change it at like white belt like f- first day in they're like BJJ. There was there was one girl at my gym that I was like, whoo, this is cringeworthy. I mean, she she had been a white belt for probably at least six months, maybe a year. Um, but it was like this whole BJJ account and like taking like influencer style photos mm. in the. And like that's I I post like real like this is me doing my real matches and stuff like that. But you definitely I think uh, women for sure. There's some there's some women that are in the sport for the look at me doing jujitsu versus like, hey, I'm an athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think guys are, are maybe they are, but I don't think guys are like that as much. What is a super fight? Like, what is that? So it's like a showcase fight. Um, so there's different forms of it. Um, sometimes there'll be like an actual super fight bracket. So it will be like 
uh, the 130 riverfront fights has like a 135 pound female championship, 180 pound weight limit for the male championship. And then you'll go against like everyone to like basically make it to the winner. Uh, But a lot of them are just like, it will be like a card, like MMA of like, you're lined up to fight this person. Um, And instead of going into like a local tournament or even an IBJJF, which is International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Foundation, those are like tournaments. You'll have a bracket. Like if you go and beat the first person, you'll go on to the next person, yada, yada, yada. A super fight, like you'll know who you're fighting before you go and they like line up the match for you. So I, um, and a few 170 pound blue belt super fights they have another 170 pound blue belt lined up for me and they promote it and you have like pictures and um it's more of a schedule like hey people are coming to watch this like like more like mma it's an event yeah it's an event Mm -hmm. versus a tournament is just like a ton of people competing at once like a super fight is like we're here to watch these people grapple is that more stressful when you know who you're fighting exactly what day and you're you're kind of counting down as to a tournament you might show up and you have kind of no idea who's going to be there yeah so I just did my first super fight and I definitely like it's interesting you know everyone's got their you know their Instagram they're promoting themselves as fighters and stuff like that so you go and you look and you know I see this girl I'm like ooh, it looks like she's a wrestler right and I don't feel comfortable for my feet and so now you've got in the back of your mind uh okay I really got to work on my wrestling or stuff like that and I think it's good to look at your opponent and try to make a plan but also not go away from your own game, right? Like I want to be focused on what I'm doing. And I think that's where my sports psychology like background comes in of I want to focus on the things that I can control and I'm not going to be able to control what that competitor does, right? Like if I look and, oh, this person does this submission all the time, like I want to just work really hard to defeat that position. And then on the odd day, they decide to do a different submission. Like I feel like I will have wasted all my preparation for nothing. Um, So, I mean, there are certain aspects, like the next fight that I'm doing um, is in a rule set where a lot of the leg locks that I don't usually do are legal. Um, At IBJJF Blue Belt, like, most leg locks are illegal so they're not something that I have to worry about whereas this super fight like it's going to be all systems go so in the back of my mind in the next month it's like okay I need to at least practice defense to these things because I don't want to go in naive to heel hooks and then get heel hooked in the first 30 seconds Mm -hmm. well we'll kind of back up a little bit because I want to I want to get to all that but I haven't had a ton of jujitsu people on the podcast. So people might be like, what the hell is jujitsu? What the (laughs) hell is a blue belt versus a white belt? But um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to just kind of get into the basics. Like what got you into this sport where you're hugging people and choking people and trying to take people down? It's wild because like everyone's like, oh, did you wrestle in high school? Like, do you really into MMA? And like, I'm just someone that I would like really describe myself as a lover, not a fighter. And I had no real idea of what the sport was before I started doing it. I had an ex-boyfriend like 
way back when that did jujitsu and I was like yeah that sounds great but like I never really understood what he was doing he would just come to my house sweaty and was like yeah I just came from jujitsu and like didn't really talk about it more than that and so I had a list of goals for 2019 and it was just like take a jujitsu class there was a free trial at my gym and I walked in and I was like, this looks crazy. There's people on the ground. They're like choking each other. You think when you hear the word jujitsu, people are like, oh, karate or like, you know, they're like, hi, cha, like breaking wood. And it's not that. And, you know, it's you explain it to someone that doesn't know what it is. And you're like, yeah, basically you are trying to choke someone, cut off their airway or bend their joints in the wrong direction. Right. Those are like the two main submissions that you can do. And it's wild like it's just something that I never thought or saw myself doing but the community that I happened to walk into were, was so inviting that I was like this is something that I want to learn and I had just finished my master's in sports psychology so I really felt like all the concepts of like having a beginner's mindset not having an ego uh, being able to you know consistently show up every day and work hard on results just like mended so well with the sport that I just started to really enjoy it even though I wasn't very good when I started like I just thought it was a great community and um I just jumped head first like all of a sudden I was going to the gym every single class that they had and I I haven't stopped for like almost three years now. That beginner's mindset, like the the first thing when I did my first class, you line up and you line up by belts, like how long everybody's been doing it or essentially how good people are at it. And I think that's really cool. Like there, so if you have a job, whether you've been there for six months or 10 years, you're kind of all at the same level. No one really knows where they stand. But when you walk into a jujitsu gym, it's like, okay, this is exactly where I stand. I am the worst person in here. I cannot do anything to any of these people <laughs> past me. Yeah, on the same token, though, I think what's really cool about it is, um, you know, at least at my gym, some some gyms will have a beginner's class and an advanced class, but our gym was still growing and still small at the time that I joined. So it was like, okay, you've got a brown belt in your class and they're taking the same exact class that the white belt on their first day walks in. And kind of just this blend of knowledge of like you have to pick out pieces of information along the journey and what that white belt on their first day is getting out of that class is drastically different than what that brown belt is getting. But as a brown belt, you start to see things different way. Like it's like, okay, maybe I've already had this class eight times before and I've drilled this move eight times but like what are the micro details that that person's learning versus the white belt that's like okay where do my hands go you know yeah I'm definitely still at that stage (laughs) it's funny like I've done probably 25 or 30 classes and I feel like we've only done the same move like once okay so all the things that I'm learning are just like yeah I've never done this before ever yeah so and then it's like I'm waiting for something to come around that maybe I'll be confident at. It yeah. hasn't happened yet, but it's interesting how different schools do like different um, like programming too, right? So at my gym, we've got several different black belts, and it's like just the black belt will come in and teach their lesson, and um, they're transitioning more into having like a theme of the week. So like for the week, you're going to work on mount escapes. But I've been uh, I've trained at gyms in Florida before because. Uh, I worked in 
courses for 10 years and that is a seasonal job so you'll go down south to either Florida or South Carolina for the winter months because it's just too cold in Pennsylvania to do that Um, and so in doing that I've gotten to go into some gyms some positive experience some crazy experience I went to like one gym that was like some little man just screaming at you that your jujitsu is not good enough and like just insane situations. But the last gym that I trained at, they did like side control the whole three months. I was there for three months and all we did was side control classes and like just really learning everything from that position before moving on and then doing the next position. Now from a long-term growth perspective, that's probably beneficial to some people, right? To like say, let me just like really master everything that I can do from this position and then I'll go to the next one. But if you're at your day one and you're walking in and it's like, okay, all I've learned is side control for the last three months, like you need to know how to break someone's guard, right? Like you need to know how to do other things in the game so that you can actually roll, which I think rolling is important. Like some gyms won't let fresh white belts uh, on the mats until they have like one stripe or two stripes. But I think that you learn the most in an open mat scenario or like just the, the rolling at the end of the class where you're just like figuring it out as you go. And again, uh, picking a good training partner to do that with so that you can be like, okay, I turned this way and then I got into this submission. What can I do next time? Yeah. And it's, it's funny, like how you can ask people, like you would think that, essentially fighting would be an ego game where people are like beating you up and trying to choke you and then if you ask like hey how did you get into that position or what should I be doing if you get that and they're like oh and then they just walk you through it yeah absolutely and I think that's more where you know they liken jujitsu to human chess like it's a very mental game um and it is as much as like yeah ego plays a role in it if you can take away from the ego I think that's where you're going to grow the most in the sport um and just from a mental aspect like right being able to break down the game into its pieces and so part of that is okay I'm actually in this live position and this happened why did that happen and being able to have that conversation with your training partner which like as a white belt I think it's important to be training with the upper belts and I know you said some of your listeners might not know what that means so it goes uh white blue brown oh purple Purple, brown brown, black I was like well brown I hate the color purple I think that's probably why I skipped it over I'm like dreading getting my purple belt because usually they'll like give you your purple belt and then you're ranked purple rash guard and I'm like I hate the color purple (laughs) that's funny yeah um I mean as far as like ego goes I think my experience was like the first week I went I knew I was gonna suck and then the second week, for some magical reason, I thought, okay, I'm going to like get some of this. <laughs> and then I left, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm worse than I was week one. But I think it, it was just ego because I thought maybe I'll pick this stuff up a little bit faster since I've been doing this a week. And it's like I've been doing this a week. Yeah, yeah. No, and I mean like uh, almost three years in, I've gone to competitions. I've done really well. I've gone to competitions, and I've done poorly. Um I still feel very much like in a beginner's mindset, right? Like there are things that I feel really confident in that I'm like, oh yeah, this is a skill that I can go and teach to a kid. And that's as a blue belt, one of the the biggest things that you can do is go help with your kid's class. Because if you can explain it to someone that's five years old, like you're probably pretty good at the technique. But 
even still, like there are some days that something comes out and I'm like, I've never seen this before. I have no clue what we're doing or, you know, oh, I, I just did that completely wrong and now I'm in this horrible spot. Um, but being able to have sort of a thick skin of working out of the bad spots, I think is like a lot of what it takes to get through. I think the, uh, my coaches have said it before. They're like, you didn't have it, Tyler, because you're just like a weird case with your sports psychology and mental stuff. But the first three months of jujitsu is like probably the hardest. And um, they've talked about, you know, almost making people sign into a contract, right? So that you don't give up. Like, here's your three months like it's gonna suck it's still gonna suck after that but like actually being able to learn and grow and just like be comfortable getting in those uncomfortable situations so okay so you came in with a sports psychology master's degree. yes yeah it was like literally like I had just finished my master's degree and like a week later I'm in the jujitsu gym and I was like oh this concept that I learned about, this concept that I learned about, like all the light bulbs were going off. What made you want to study that? Um, the equestrian sports. So when I was young, I I wanted to be like a professional horseback. I wanted to ride in the Olympics, right? And I was always a hard worker. So I graduated high school a year early. I was 16 when I graduated high school. Um, I got my bachelor's degree at 19. I did like that in three years, double majored, got an associates as well as like my two bachelors. And I was just like very much a, if you just work hard, put your head down, like the world will be your oyster. And I had some really like bad competitive anxiety as a result of it because like I just thought I should be good at like competing and like being a good rider um so I had like a fall and I didn't get hurt or anything but it was just like at a really disappointing time in my career of like I should have done really well and I fell off at this competition and now I'm embarrassed and now my whole life's plan is like disrupted right and I'm a kid I'm I graduated at 19 and I'm like uh, doing the adult thing and I I think that I should be an adult because someone gave me a degree and said like you're good to go and like I had always gotten all these achievements and check marks and I just really got beat down by my experiences in the horse world. Like I sold one of my horses, got one that I didn't get along with, was like falling off all the time. And I, it shook my confidence. I had worked with a sports psychologist at one point that helped me with one of my horses, like get through like a big competition hunt. So I think that sort of planted the seed of like, there's this powerful tool that can help people understand uh, the progression of sports and like be okay with not being good at things like I think that's the inner perfectionist in me talking like I've always wanted to be good at what I'm doing um and then after that I was just kind of in this weird place in my life and I got into some sports psychology books like I started reading about Navy SEAL mental toughness right and so like I'm all in this mental toughness kick I started going to the gym for the first time in my life and I just felt like there was so much from book smart life that was actually applying to real life which was for me not always the case early on when I started to enter into adulthood um so yeah I just I really got into it I saw how much it helped me and then I saw that there was a really a need for it in this equestrian world and also in other aspects of life and I just took a deep dive and decided to get my master's and now I am like a just shy of a year away from getting my doctorate wow that's awesome yeah 
Yeah, when I first learned about, so I picked up this book. It was called The Mental Game, Mental Conditioning for Baseball, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, I had never heard of any of this stuff. Like, I thought that practice meant that you practice. I played baseball, so mm-hmm. I practiced baseball. Yep. I hit off the tee. I did extra throwing. I did that stuff. I didn't even know that there was another part of the game. I didn't know that you have these thoughts that, and especially baseball, like you're sta- a lot of times you're standing in the outfield and if you had a, had a bad couple of bats before that, you're, that's all you're thinking about. Yeah. And then the ball gets hit to you and you're like, oh shit, I'm not even paying attention. But yeah, to kind of put words to what, what's going on in between your head is, is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's so much more access to the mental side of sports now. You've, you know, you've got Simone Biles coming out and saying, you know, I'm not just I'm not competing right now because I'm not mentally there. I'm not physically there. Um, and it's it's becoming a lot more open out there. Uh, the Weight of Gold was a really good documentary Michael Phelps put together about like the mental issues that Olympic athletes uh, are under. And I think that I grew up with this mindset of just, I always need to be the best and I want to be the best. Um, And the way that it crushes you when it doesn't happen uh, was something that was very real to me. And so being able to flip the script of, you know, pursuing excellence through not focusing on outcomes, but focusing on the process. And so now jujitsu is something that, I mean, arguably on the outside I would say yeah I'm kind of good at this sport like I'm at least can go into a gym and like feel comfortable with all of the training partners in there there's no one ever that I'm scared to roll with or you know if I get tapped out like I'm slapping and bumping and going right away like it doesn't phase me at all but that comes from this place of I want to do this sport forever like I want to get my black belt it's going to be 10 years to get my black belt and I'm just enjoying the process how do you I mean, how do you do that if you don't have a sports psychology background? Like, <laughs> like, how do you tell people, you know, um, I mean, that's anything in life. If it's, it's going to take a long time to get good at something, to master something. And like Malcolm Gladwell has the 10,000 hour rule. So, I mean, it's hard to do that. It's hard to just have the mindset where, hey, I'm going to suck for a while and I'm not going to understand something. And I'm still going to keep showing up. I'm still going to keep doing it. So somebody who doesn't have any of this knowledge, Mm -hmm. where do they kind of start? I think it takes like a certain level of self-reflection, right? So I actually, I have a couple of athletes, you know, that I talk to uh, in the equestrian world. And I'm actually taking on a few in the jujitsu world too that are amateurs, right? Like they're not doing it professionally. It's what they do for fun. And I'm like, okay, so if you continued to suck at this for the next six years, would you still do it? And most of the time the answer is yes, like because it is enjoyable, Mm. you do get the benefit from it. And if you can appreciate that, like you would still do this sport no matter what, then you can laugh through the bad roles or like, you know, shake off the bad days. But if you don't have like a stronger connection of hey, like, why are you, if you're just doing it to win, you're never going to have a healthy relationship with that sport anyway. So you might as well just give up. 
I think you just put into words like what I'm going through, <laughs> like how I enjoy jujitsu. Yeah. Even though I'm terrible at it. Yeah. Like I would still show up. Yeah. yeah. And it's like it's such a flow state too. Like I feel like even even in a rough round where, you know, I've taken an elbow to the face, my lips bleeding and I'm like fighting through this like rough submission. I'm like, this guy is just like, does he know I'm a woman? You know, like I'm just like really beating down. I walk away from that and I'm like, I still really love this sport and I love how it makes me feel after, right? Like I love that post-training like glow and aura and there are so many things that I feel um, jiu-jitsu has given me beyond just the sport. Like it's a huge community. Um, you connect with people. I, you know, I started teaching kids class. I hated kids before. I love kids now. I love them. Like watching them strangle each other. Like something about that has made me like really enjoy uh, spending time with children. And so there's like multiple levels. So you have to look at it from the big picture of, you know, if you're just walking in somewhere to be the best like nobody's ever going to be the best like there is always going to be someone better than you there are going to be people that started when they were five years old coming up the ranks and that five-year-old is going to be a really badass 19 year old jujitsu person that's going to whoop your ass but you're on this journey and like the more that you show up the better that you're going to get and training partners that started with you are going to get to blue belt and they're going to bail out and you're just going to keep getting better um and i think the other thing is like it's a sport that you don't necessarily see the growth um until you look back and there are a ton of plateaus that you'll hit but like the more that you keep showing up you'll break through the plateaus and like get to the skills that you want to go to but again if you just want to be better than everyone you're not so (laughs) (laughs) so good luck good luck with that yeah what um what struggles did you face as a female getting into it? Like there, I mean, at my gym, it's a lot of, it's probably 80% at least male. Mm-hmm. So, so what were some of the struggles in the beginning that you faced? I'll say that I was probably really lucky to walk into a gym that has a female black belt to, to have a high level competitor. Um, that's a woman is, you know, a huge draw and a lot of gyms like you won't get that. So like you will feel like a fish out of water. Um, whereas Abby's always made it so that women feel comfortable. And like, if there's women that don't feel comfortable training with men, like she'll make sure on the night that she's teaching, like you can partner with a safe role or like, you know we'll split the room to do pass sweep submit and it's like the women and the smaller men are over here and like the big beefy you know kids that wrestled in uh high school are going to go on the other side of the gym I feel like I was able to latch onto a few training partners that were men that I felt safe with at the beginning um and higher belts again I think that is if you get someone with a lot of knowledge, so I was training with like purple, brown, black belts that knew a lot, I knew that they could keep me safe. It was the white belts and the blue belts that were still managing their ego, that were still managing their movements, that, you know, that's a lot more of a dangerous role for me than any of these upper belts. Now I'm at the point that like, you know, very few times will I look at someone and be like, I won't roll with them. Like I'll, I'll roll with anyone like big, big white belt that comes in that looks like he's been roided up and like his biceps are bigger than my head. Like I'm just going to pull him in my guard and see what I can do. Um, and I don't have again, that sort of like 
if a white belt that's bigger and stronger than me taps me out. A lot of people say that like strength doesn't matter in jujitsu, but it does. Like it does. Um, so yeah, I would say just finding those people, um, having that influence and just getting to know them. So n- now my training partner is like, I'm the only woman that trains at morning class three times a week. And that's fine. Like I've got my old men, I call them. Some of them aren't even that old. I like found out when my one training partner is only like 31 and I thought he was 45. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. I thought you were an old man. <laughs> but um, Is that like, what about somebody who maybe just walks into the gym for the first time and they don't have that? Like maybe they're seeing a lot of those people who do wrestle in college or wrestle in high school and people, you know, being aggressive. Yeah, to like not be able to find that safe training partner. Honestly, I would say like looking at the gym options in your area because there are so many options now. Um, The gym that I ended up training at as a white belt in Florida, like looking back, I had no business being in there. And I think had I been anyone else, like it would have been a very intimidating, like moral, like demoralizing situation. And I just happened to have this like thick skin. I was like, okay, like this is fine. But um, if a woman had walked into that gym on her first day, and just been like, this is what jujitsu is, like, they probably would have never done the sport again. Um, But I think that, like, if you're in a gym that has, like, a good community, you should be able to find safe training partners. And if you go in and you don't feel safe, like, there's no reason that you can't, like, look elsewhere. Have you found that, like, you're more confident overall, just kind of walking around since you started doing it? Absolutely. And I've never like I never thought, oh, this is going to be great self-defense. Right. Like I and maybe it's naive to to feel safe in the world, but I've always felt very safe um, in, in the world. But just the confidence aspect in all areas of my life, like I feel like I've grown so much as a person. Um, I've struggled with anxiety and depression in the past that have almost like evaporated with jujitsu. Like I used to have a lot of body image problems that I was like, I'm big, right? Like I'm a big girl for a horseback rider, like compared to a 120 pound thin uh, toothpick of what the ideal horseback rider is. I never fit into that world. So as a result of that, I like had all these residual body image and a little bit with CrossFit started being like, okay, like I appreciate my body for what it can do. Um, but I think that jujitsu just took it to the next level, right? It just makes you feel so good of, Hey, I can walk into this room full of strangers and like, I can keep up with them. Like no matter what it is, like I'm at least going to get in there and I'm going to be tough and roll with them. And, uh, you know, you go into a gym that you've never been to and they're like, who is this girl? Like that is, that's a really good feeling of, you know, confidence. Now that you're at like a couple different gyms and you kind of pop in a few random places, do you feel like as a female that you have to prove yourself right away? I don't. Um, I think that most guys are mindful of like training with another woman. I, my One of my favorite memes is like uh, guys always thinking they need to like be careful with a jujitsu girl and the jujitsu girl is just like hissing at them right like we are kind of feral like if you if you're a woman that does jujitsu like you do have a pretty good tolerance for pain and you know training with 
people that may, might be unpredictable and, and might use all their strength. I actually went in a, a tournament against a guy because I went and there was no women for me. I was like, just throw me in the men's division. It's fine. Uh, I mean, I got tapped out, but it, it was whatever. I think that a lot of people have this idea of I need to prove myself or I need to be this certain person. And I think that in jujitsu, if you can appreciate like your own journey, uh, then you won't feel any of that, right? Like, so you could go in and a purple belt is working on their back escapes that day, right? And so if their one goal is to say, I'm going to work to escape everyone's back today, and you go in and you're like, yeah, I took their back, right? Like, that's not an accurate representation of like yourself or your progress. So just going in and saying like, hey, I'm going to do my best today or like setting specific goals for your training session so that you're not focused on how you're perceived by other people. Now, as a caveat, I will say I understand that some people do think that way. I just don't. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like having a healthy relationship with ego because, I mean, in a certain sense, like we do need our egos to... I mean, to walk into the gym for the first time, you need a little bit of ego to be like, okay, I'm going to be able to at least handle myself somewhat. And then you realize how stupid that was in the first place to think that way. But, but like doing, I think doing hard stuff does require some sense of ego, but it's also healthy to get that taken down. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like as much as like you want to feel great about your jujitsu like you need that person in the gym that's gonna be like look at all this stupid stuff you're doing like you know today I got tapped out seven times in one match I'm just cracking up I'm like laughing I'm like how did I get in a triangle from here like I literally don't even know who that how that happened but that's how you grow like you get into these bad positions and you learn how to not get into them or you learn how to get out of them and I think it's like a really awesome metaphor for life right because like you can't control like you are going to have bad things happen in life and like learning how to fight out of them or learning how to get out of them is almost better than like you know just trying to avoid them altogether mm -hmm. I love the personal I guess like personal responsibility aspect that's like one of the biggest things that I've learned the last couple years is like I I think as a society, like not a lot of people would be able to defend themselves if a bad situation came up and like you want to have something to fall back on. You, you don't want to have to need it, mm -hmm. but it's really bad if you need it and don't have it. Yeah, absolutely. So like you can you can anytime you're in an alley, like if people try to take your purse or whatever, they're going to really feel bad that they did that yeah I mean I I don't I wouldn't say that maybe I'm gonna like arm bar that guy like I'll probably just give him my wallet to be honest but like you know as a woman like there are th real threats to your physical safety that you know you want to know that you would be able to do it so I and I specifically remember because it was like two weeks or three weeks in um my coach was teaching a bravo choke which is where you use use a gi to get a cross collar choke um but it's like a lot tighter because like you're using the gi and he's like sometimes they call this the boyfriend choke because you could use a hoodie to do it and I'm like sitting there thinking like oh you're like I'm not gonna be using this on some stupid guy and then you never know like that situation could come up and like knowing that okay like hey I can use this hoodie just like I use a gi could save your life um and I think uh a lot more that I get into jujitsu like there are so many really good foundations um 
that are working towards, you know, be raising awareness for situations in jujitsu. A lot of people who have PTSD from, um, you know, attacks or sexual violence in their past will come to jujitsu and they'll be very open of, you know, a lot of these positions are very triggering for me, but then learning how to work through them with anyone on the mat can be so empowering. Um, so that mental aspect is uh, super important. And I try to do uh, chair, like I'm, I have a super fight in March and all the proceeds are like for domestic violence uh, victims. So it's, it's like literally called sub out domestic violence. And it's like, Hey, there are people that really struggle with this and people that come on the mats that have been in uh, domestic violence situations and they use jujitsu to um, mentally empower themselves out of those situations. That's awesome. Yeah. I will get that linked up in the show notes. I know you posted that on Instagram, yeah, but definitely yeah. people check that out. So what's, what's like the difference when you kind of, so you're into it, maybe the first, you said you competed after three months. Yep. So what's, is there a shift when you're like, I'm going to start competing at this? Um, I, you know, I've have coaches that are competitors. Um, and what they've always said is that you don't have to compete, but you will learn more in a five minute match comp competing than you will like within six weeks of classes just because you know if you're training all the time you train with the same people you're kind of like learning their game you get into the same sort of okay like when we roll together this guy takes my back or you know I get an arm bar over here and it's not necessarily like as adrenaline surging like maybe in the first couple of weeks it's like okay well but once you train enough you're not going to get that same adrenaline response as, okay, now here's someone that I don't know. I don't know their game. I don't know anything that they're doing. And we're going to try to fight each other with all of my friends and family watching. Um, and so my initial interest in the competition was, I, I want to be better. Like I want to find my weaknesses in these tournaments and stuff like that. Um, and then I just really enjoy it. And I think that for me, uh, it's like personal research also for all of my sports psychology stuff because I can talk to everyone about their pre-performance routines, their goal setting, mental preparation, how to get their nerves down. But unless I can be in in areas where I'm feeling that, like, you know, I'm last weekend behind the stage for my super fight and I like, I can hear my heart beating through my chest. I'm like, okay, like this is what we talk about. Like how can I use these aspects to help myself be better in myself and help other people as well? Um, and so I want to compete because I think competing will make me better. It's not necessarily about winning. Like you go, you pay $115 at a local tournament and you walk away with a $3 trophy. Like it doesn't matter. It's not like on some record. It's not some world stage thing. Jiu-jitsu isn't a big sport. Um, even as a jiu-jitsu athlete, like you can make money doing seminars and, you know, having classes and stuff like that, but it's not like you're going to be a football player with a million dollar contract. Uh, it's more of, if this is something that you want to be really good at, being able to compete, you'll learn a lot about yourself and your game. What are some of the things that you use? Like, say, when you are in the back and your heart's pumping, like, is there breathing stuff or like, what are you doing for that? Yeah, um, I do some diaphragmatic breathing exercises. Um, I'm really big 
like putting on the headphones and like listening to music like bumping around like so especially for a super fight uh where you're only going to have one five minute match like you want to make sure you get your heart rate up before you go into it um and it's like a hard balance right like you don't want to like wear out your grips like you don't want to be like huffing and puffing when you go in but you want to like get your heart rate up so that it's not like you're going in the match and you're warming up uh so for that particular one I had my headphones on I got like Taylor Swift blasting in my headphones because I'm just like I hope people are think I'm listening to some like really uh pump up hip hop but it's just Taylor Swift it relaxes me I like the lyrics and I'm just like kind of like almost dance bopping around to get my heart rate up a bit like doing some shots uh I think the functional jujitsu movements for me in those moments like help center me so if I'm you know thinking about the techniques that I'm going to do. Um, and, and another thing is visualization, right? So like I'll visualize what I want my match to look like. And uh, that's the biggest thing that my coach, Abby, who's done really well um, on the world stage has, she said, you just have to go in and, and know what your match is going to look like. And it's not necessarily that that's going to happen, but okay, God, if you can picture your takedown and where you're going to end up and where you're going to transition to and what submission you're going to get to, you go in and you own the fight. Like one of the biggest things in a match is when they say fight, like you're the first one initiating grips. Like you don't want to wait for them to come to you. Like you need to like go and have the the first strike. So all of these things that I do beforehand is to say, hey, I'm going to go out there and and be the first one to initiate. I'm going to be the first one to do this. I'm going to make this my match, not hers. So I guess I would call myself a skeptic, but vis- visualization, mm-hmm. I've never had any success with it. Okay. And I feel like, so say you're going into a fight, it's like, what happens? Okay, you get beat to be the first one to initiate grips, or you get put into a position that you didn't visualize yourself being into. Like, how do you how you know it's like your head's kind of scrambling because you're thinking about oh it wasn't supposed to go this way yeah and I think that that's like something that you have to think about right like so you want it to be this is my plan but I'm not so wrapped up in it that you are going to have that experience of oh crap it didn't go my way like you want to be able to adjust to anything and so when I do visualization like with my sports psychology clients we don't just do positive visualization right I don't want you to just think, oh, everything's going to be great. Um, I want you to be able to visualize, okay, you're down on points and someone's mounting you. Like, how are you escaping mount and going through all of those situations? So I think like right before a match, when you're trying to get yourself in that peak state, the visualization is more of a, how is it going to feel if I get all of those things? Like, so that you're priming yourself for success. So the brain is like, always looking for patterns. Uh, We're humans of repetition. And that's why self-talk is also so important, right? So like if you say, um, I'm really good at this, or I'm going to get the dominant grip, or, you know, using positive uh, words and phrases going in, then you're going to look for the positive. Whereas if like you're negative, you're going to look for the bad things. Um, So I would say that positive visualization beforehand is more of targeted towards your emotional state than necessarily making the match go exactly that way and then having a vivid visualization practice outside of those moments of heightened intensity is where you kind of get your brain to be able to react to bad situations in a positive way Mm. 
I think that's, I like that, where, because I would just think of visualization as everything going the right way. Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know if you, like, obviously you've done some weightlifting CrossFit stuff. Um, Ben Bergeron always talks about that. He like has his athletes do, okay, well, what's going to happen if you're completely gassed out before this lift and like, you know, visualize yourself pushing through that barrier or, um, you know, Michael Phelps will, he trained with his goggles full of water, like training for the worst case scenarios. And then having that picture of, Hey, I can do this even in the worst of times. Um, and I think that is probably more of a, what distinguishes great athletes from good ones, right? What do you think about, so, I mean, you think about Michael Phelps training with his goggles full and you're like, but he's Michael Phelps. Yeah. How do you bring sports psychology into the person who's a practitioner of something, who's doing CrossFit a couple of days a week or who's doing jujitsu and wants to get a little bit better, but doesn't really care if they're a world champion? I think that if that person doesn't care and they go in every day and they're enjoying their sport and there's nothing about it that bothers them, then they can just go on their merry way and not even think about sports psychology for the rest of the time. But if you have someone that's like, hey, I'm a practitioner, but I get really frustrated with myself about X, Y, and Z, or like I broke down crying the other day because my performance wasn't where it wanted to be, that's the person that needs to come talk to me about goals and expectations and like how to set uh, themselves up for more success. Because I think at the end of the day, the difference between that person and Michael Phelps is like they're there to enjoy it and like what make it the best hour of your day right the person that's making it the best hour of the day will self-sabotage themselves with ideas of what they think that they should be in performance whereas Michael Phelps is going to have to embrace the fact that it sucks like it sucks to be an elite athlete and there's a line of health and performance and that elite athlete is crossing it like that elite athlete is sacrificing their health they're sacrificing their relationships they're going to have to put themselves through things that that normal person isn't going to and again like if that normal person goes to the gym every day and it's like wow crossfit's super fun and that's what i do three times a week and doesn't think twice about it they don't need me but if they go in and they're like i just like i really want to get double unders but i just can't like how can i address your limiting beliefs so that you can get to a place so and i'm really big about can and can't um language i read a book called mindset by dr carol dweck like God, probably five or six years ago at this point. And it was all about a fixed versus growth mindset. And basically, in a growth mindset, you believe that you can get better at things. And a fixed mindset is like, this is just, I'm static. This is who I am. And it shows that the fixed mindset can be applicable to I'm smart or I'm fit and I'm athletic because as soon as something happens that questions that belief of, oh, I don't know the answer to this question or I didn't hit my lift like I was supposed to, you feel threatened as a person. Whereas if you're in a growth mindset, like you understand the learning capacity of it. And that's something for me, like I had never run a consecutive mile in my life. I didn't think that I was capable of running. Middle school, I was like the last person on the mile line, like hyperventilating. I have weird knees, so they pop out. I was like, I can't do this. I literally read that book, Mindset. I was like, 
maybe I've just told myself my whole life that I'm not a runner and I'm out there with my friend we're running two miles I'm literally like yelling through the pain like I'm a runner I'm a runner and uh it took me seven months to go from like not having run a mile to to finishing a half marathon and it's just like to me that shows how powerful the language we have around our actions is but if you don't have that problem you don't have that problem yeah I think it's you almost have I don't think that you can have a growth or fixed mindset about everything right you typically like anything that you do like obviously you're gonna get better at it when you first start cooking you don't know how to do anything and then like you make your first egg and it's like okay I can do eggs but like I can never do that fancy recipe right so like you have that's kind of that was my takeaway from the book like I have a growth mindset in some areas and then in some areas it's completely fixed. And I'm like, well, like, why would I be good at this? Because, you know, all these people who are really good at it, they they devote way more time to it and they can, you know, it's just like you kind of take that in in both areas. Yeah, I love the like analogy that they use, though, too. Like uh, you would never like laugh at a baby taking its first steps, right? Like, oh, you stupid baby, like you can't walk. <laughs> like nobody does that. They just like let them fall down and get back up. And like it, you just, that's how they learn. They learn by falling down. Um, and I think that like, especially in jujitsu is like how you learn. Like you just have to be that baby like falling down all the time. But we somehow along like growing up and becoming competent in other areas of our life lose the ability to be bad at stuff we lose the ability to you know just fall down and get back up because we haven't had to fall down it's you you're an established person in your life you're like okay like I'm I've got my stable job I've got my stable relationship like things are just cruisy and then things in jujitsu are like wow that's hard I must not be good at it I should quit well should the baby quit too? Like, no, like it's, and it's the same exact thing. Yeah. And I think when a baby falls down, they just get up. And when we fall down, we look to see if anybody watched, if anybody saw us and we're like embarrassed instead of just being like, no, we're just going to get up and try it again. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's funny. The the mindset is tough because it's like, I think sports psychology is definitely breaking into the professional sports world but like how does that equate to you know somebody trying to do double unders or trying to just get a little bit better yeah and I think that my like you know obviously I'd love to work with like the best of the best athletes and like help them be better at their game but I am very passionate about you know the athletes at the amateur level because I see so many people and I know um that that was myself, like in my horseback riding career, right? If I had just ridden for the enjoyment of it, I don't think I would have ever lost my ability. Like I I was good at one point and then I tried so hard to be good that I lost whatever initial inclination towards the sport that I have. And as I became overly self-critical about myself, I stopped enjoying it. And as I stopped enjoying it, I stopped being good at it. And so what can you say to this person that, uh, you know, wants to be an athlete, but also wants to enjoy it? And that's why um, the tagline of my own podcast is, is bridging the gap between riding and wellness, right? Like I want people to be able to be really good, but also feel really good about it. Um, and that's why like, I love 
what Ben Bergeron talks about with, uh, you know, when he was helping Katrin in the CrossFit games, it's like, we never talked about winning the CrossFit games. Like we just talked about being the best that we could be and controlling what we can control. And so I think that as much as it's different in some ways, like, um, you know, I'll have athletes that I talk to sometimes and I'm like, yes, if your goal was to go win the Olympics, I would say, let's you can't feel like that you just have to kind of like brush that feeling under a rug and we have to keep pressing on um I want it to be both like I want I want everything that applies to enjoyment and fulfillment to be what makes you the best at your sport because who wants to be the best at something when it makes you feel empty Mm -hmm. and it's like if you if your goal is to be the best at something like you said, there might be somebody who started at five years old who's just always going to be like if that's kind of your your so like I used to think in weightlifting, I wanted to be like the best in my weight class. Mm-hmm. And then there's two guys who are up in Reading who their totals like 50, 60 kilos above mine. So like if I want to be the best in my weight class, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm not going to be yeah. ever. Yeah. And it's like accepting that. But if that's your goal and you're always chasing that goal, like no matter what, if you put that on your mirror every day and you look at it, that I'm the best weightlifter and then you never hit that. It's like very depressing Yeah. versus like, hey, maybe I'll my total will go up 40 kilos and I'll be close to them. I'll never beat them. But like I got really far. Yeah. And I think that's like the difference of setting an outcome goal versus a process goal, right? So like outcome, I'm the best in my division. And, you know, there's a time and a place for outcome goals, right? Like if you're a competitive athlete, if you're paid for your performance, like you have to have some sort of idea of outcome. But um, if you can focus more on the performance and the process related goals, then you're going to have more self growth, which I think is at the end of the day, uh, one of my favorite sports psychologists is Dr. Michael Gervais. Uh, he works with the Seattle Seahawks and has a podcast called Finding Mastery. And he always asks people, um, are you looking to be the best or are you looking to be your best? And the best performers actually do answer that they are going looking to be their best. And I think that a lot of times people just like compare themselves to others. They look at outside sources and they think I just want to be the best and you know Karen next to me on the rower has her meters down you know 10 seconds faster than mine Um, I'm never going to be the best if I can't get faster than Karen whereas if you can focus on your own performance and your own rower you're going to get yourself into that flow state a lot easier and you're going to maybe beat them without looking at the room and it's not fun to like look around the room and be like oh yeah like everyone's just better than me today like that's not fun but if you focus on yourself it can be fun are you naturally competitive like as far as you are yeah like don't want to play monopoly with me it's an ugly sight like I'm very I'm very competitive in everything that I do and I do think that like you know as much as I say oh no ego no ego like I have an ego everyone does I like to be good at things uh I went to a tournament and I got wrist locked in like the first 30 seconds of the match I'm like wrist locks hurt right in the heart right like and I just I was like man I didn't see that coming it's like frustrating um but at the same time I'm like well what is what does that mean in the grand scheme of things right you can just brush it off and keep going Mm mm-hmm 
Yeah, I feel like it's... Do you think competitiveness can be taught? This is something I just thought about. Like, if you're... Say you're not competitive, but, like, do you think you can teach somebody that? Is that, like, a sports psychology thing where you can say, like, not even more competitive with other people, but just more competitive with yourself? I would say through the frame of like mental toughness that, Mm -hmm. you know, being competitive is being mentally tough, like being able to push and excel even in the worst of times, right? Like that's kind of my idea of competitiveness is even when you're down on the clock or down, you know, on the scoreboard that you're pushing your hardest no matter what. And I think that comes down to being mentally tough, which is something that, like, they've studied. Like, you can train. You can become mentally tough. Mm-hmm. That's um, Grit, right? Yeah, With Angela Duckworth. Duckworth yep. Yeah, that was a good book. Yeah, I think um, anytime you're able to face struggle, and I feel like we've kind of, as a society, we've lost that ability. Like, people who aren't doing these kind of things like doing hard things jujitsu crossfit whatever it is like pushing yourself physically anytime something gets hard it's like it's hard it's too hard yeah that's it like i i'll start a business and then they're like oh you know my my taxes are way too much or whatever and people are like ah, that's it like i'm not gonna do this yeah and i think that's where too a lot of like the fight or flight instincts really come in right like you have to appreciate what we evolved from like we were cavemen that just like okay fire or bear and like we have to run or we have to fight um and what jujitsu and crossfit do is like they release a lot of the hormones that are involved in those processes right like you're able to go and like get a really good adrenaline feeling of okay i'm fighting so i'm getting sort of this checked off now someone that doesn't have that release is going to sit in traffic and feel frustrated and have sort of that same flight response Uh, fight or flight response go off and that's where you get really angry or you get really frustrated or um, anxiety comes into play I think that for me um, from like a mental health aspect doing the hard things makes the rest of your life easier yeah that's like the uh kind of david goggins thing yes or like jocko david goggins is maybe like a little bit too far i like i love it i loved david goggins book like can't hurt me i like i've read it i've listened to it on tape love everything that he does but i think at some point like you have to realize this as he's going through the finish line of his hundred mile race with his like liver like rejecting itself, you have to understand like what is the cost of that as well. Um, and so that's where a lot of the work that I do is based in mindfulness. So I'm like really interested in um, mindful sports performance enhancement is like a really big line of study right now. So being able to bring self-acceptance into the radical push of someone like David Goggins or Jocko Willink. Yeah. So can you kind of break that down? The mindfulness? I I forget exactly what the term was. The mindful sport performance enhancement. And so that is actually... the handbook is like a six-week training course of, of mindfulness for sports performance. Um, so basically, you would take a group of athletes and you would teach them mindful breathing, mindful eating, um, and then how does that apply to your sport, right? And so 
Um, mindfulness is moment to moment present awareness, non judgmental. Sorry, moment to moment non judgmental awareness. So you're not conscious, like overly conscious or self critical of what you're doing. You're just like completely absorbed in the present moment. So now this links into sports performance because we know the most powerful sports performance happens in the present moment. And so if you can teach athletes these things like diaphragmatic breathing or Hatha yoga, um, that they can take that sort of mindset and feeling and focus of the present moment and put it into, um, you know, I'm on the foul line and I'm, you know, doing my base basketball shot like how can I be here instead of thinking what's gonna happen if I don't make this or like how is every gonna everyone gonna feel if I do and I think that is the biggest thing for me is when people have problems in sports it's because they are focusing either on something that's happened in the past like oh maybe that player's missed that shot before maybe I've missed that lift before and I'm just overly focusing on that thing or the future, fear of other people's opinions, fear of what's going to happen as a a consequence. Like if I don't win this match, nobody's going to like me. Um, And peak performance happens without that. It happens with no judgment. It happens in the present moment, but it's really, really hard to actually get there, right? Like even seated meditation, something that I've done for the past five years, um, not very often do I sit and clear my mind, but that's not the point. Like you never want, no one's ever going to have a clear mind. It's developing the ability to not actively engage with those thoughts. Mm. Yeah. So it's like you, are you like chasing no mind or are you chasing being able to declutter? Declutter for sure. Um, I always say, you know, especially in seated meditation, I like to use the idea of like a sky rider, like a blimp sky rider. And you just like put all your thoughts on that sky rider and like watch them pass. Right. So like you want to be able uh, to hear, oh, hey, you're not good enough. Or uh, remember this thing that happened last week and like you were embarrassed and get rid of it. Right. So like when when bad things happen in sports, like we carry them with us. Right. Like uh, I actually was watching a documentary the other day and they were like, if you have gotten bit by a big dog in your life, surely every time you go near a dog, there's going to be some sort of fear aspect, right? If you're a pitcher and you had like a really bad pitch, you're going to have some aspect of fear of, okay, everyone's watching. I might do that again. Um, So what are the skills? What are the tactics that you can do to get more in the present moment so that you're not thinking about these outcomes that haven't even happened yet? Yeah, sure, they've happened in the past, but just because something happens in the past doesn't mean it needs to be repeated unless you focus on it, right? Because that's there, that idea that we talked about before. The more that you focus on something, the more your brain's going to want to create it because we like to be right and we like to have these patterns. So if I'm not good at this skill and I keep not being good at it, my brain's going to be like, yeah, lighten up. We're right. We're right. We're right. Um, whereas if you can push past and like try to get into the present moment, um, then you're going to be able to not repeat what you don't want to be repeated. Mm -hmm. It's cool that it's just like there's science behind these things. Like you, you feel a certain way when you fail in a sport but there is like science that says, hey, this is why yeah. this is going on. This is why these thoughts are coming up. Absolutely. And it's like, I think like a lot of times, like if sports psychology was so stigmatized, right? Like people 
on professional sports teams wouldn't want to reach out to a sports psychologist because they're like, coach is going to find out and take me off the team because they're going to think I'm mental. And now it's like everybody uses a sports psychologist. It's to get better. It's to be uh, the best you want to be. It's literally so that you can have peak performance all the time. Mm-hmm. Not that anyone can do that, but like it, it, you try. Yeah. So what do you got coming up? What's on the schedule? Um, February 20th in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'm doing a finishers only um, super fight. So they do a couple of showcase fights and then that's going to be one of the 16 person brackets uh, after my fight Um, because I think it's a 115 pound championship way not there um for me so but i'll i'll have probably my blue belt fight earlier on in that um and another girl from my gym is on that card so that should be a fun day and then like i said um on march 27th sub out domestic violence is at the vault bjj in morton pennsylvania and that is all to raise money for uh dap delco which is the domestic abuse project of delaware county um and so that's cool and then i actually also entered ibjjf pan tournament which is like a kind of like up next level ibjjf tournament i was hoping to do a regular ibjjf before that but all of them filled up before i was able to get my like paperwork to go through so i was like i guess i'm just signing up for this um that's down in Orlando, so that will be a fun trip. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. This was really fun. Yeah, I had a really great time. Once again, thanks so much to Tyler for coming on the podcast. For her March 27th super fight that is coming up, she is raising money towards domestic violence. So 100% of the proceeds of her March 27th fight will go towards the Domestic Abuse Project I have the Venmo account as well as instructions linked up in the show notes. So if you have any money to spare towards victims of domestic violence, please do so. And if you want to support this podcast, just be sure to share it out on your Instagram story and tag both of us better than yesterday pod and on the verge BJJ. So again, everything will be linked up in the show notes. I appreciate all your support. Looking forward to talking to you guys next week.